Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. And I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. Also like to welcome those of you at our Creekside service or our North Udawa campus or Bridges service or St. Elmo or all of you that may be worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Walliser, one of the pastors here. And I have the privilege today to share with you God's word. So this one I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up in the New Testament. The first book of the New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. You got a smartphone, you get an open that Bible app there as well and look at Matthew chapter 6. And I just encourage you also, take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give these to you so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's word together. As most of you know, we started a new series last week called Making Disciples. And the reality is, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus calls you his disciple. And so as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to grow in your faith. You need to be discipled. You need to grow up. And so what we're doing in this series, we're giving you six skills that you are to learn and master so that you can grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't just head knowledge. No, you've got to learn how to live this thing out. And so you're learning six skills of a disciple. And the reason why you got to learn them is not only just for yourself so you can be a passionate follower of Jesus, but also so you can pass them on. The whole purpose of discipleship is to disciple others. God has called you to be a disciple, but he wants you to be discipling someone else as well. So you got to learn these six skills so you can pass them on to somebody else. Last week we saw, I taught you how to be filled with Holy Spirit. Why? Because we can't live the Christian life in our own strength. We can't, we'll always fail. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today what you're gonna be taught is you're gonna learn how to pray. And we're going to be looking at a passage that's extremely familiar to us. It's called the model prayer or Jesus's Lord's prayer. Now, there's a lot of interesting facts about prayer. I mean, the fact is 90% of Americans say that they pray. 60% of Americans say they pray every day. I found it interesting that 30% of atheists say they will occasionally pray, okay? And so, you know, we pray a lot, right? But the vast majority of us would say, we don't feel like we're very good at prayer. We feel inadequate in prayer, that if I ask you, hey, are you a good prayer warrior? No, probably not. I don't really feel very sufficient in my prayer life. That's the way we feel. And so let me just take the pressure off. Ready? Prayer is just talking with God. Prayer is just having this conversation with God. And God has created prayer for 
normal people like us. God's created prayer for weak people like us. God's created prayer for distracted people, squirrel, right? Like us. We, we, God's created prayer for us to connect with him. And so what often happens is that sometimes we try prayer and go, well, it didn't work or, you know, I didn't really feel connected to God and we just quit doing it. I mean, and much like, okay, there's probably been times whenever you've gotten your phone, you've called somebody and your bars of connectivity may have only been one. And you're like, what'd you say? Could you repeat that? Or it gets dropped and you have to call the person back and you get disconnected and you go, ah, this is driving me crazy, right? And so what did you do? Did you immediately take your phone and go, forget it, never using this thing again, right? No, of course not. You had a little static on the line, but what did you do? You kept trying, you kept at it, and it's the very same way in your prayer life. You may not feel very successful, but I'm encouraging you that if you will do this on a regular basis, next thing you know, you realize, oh my goodness, I'm really getting closer to God through prayer. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew chapter 6, and it's going to be up on the screen. I want us to read it aloud together, okay? Jesus says, pray then like this. Ready? Let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. And so Jesus is teaching us how to pray. In fact, that's how Jesus said this prayer in in the Gospel of Luke. The the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now, are we supposed to pray these exact 65 words? Right? Is that what we're supposed to do? I mean, if we do that, then what happens is the Lord's Prayer literally just becomes this ritual. And it's like, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance, right? What did I just say? Right? And that's the way sometimes praying the Lord's Prayer can be. Is Jesus wanting us to pray these exact words? No. In fact, at the very beginning, look at it again, verse 9, Jesus says, pray then like this. Jesus didn't say, pray this, right? He said, pray like this. And so what we find from the model prayer is a pattern. And what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to pattern our prayer after this model prayer. And there's five things in this prayer that should be included in our prayer life. In fact, not only pray these five things, I believe we need to pray them in the same order that Jesus gives us. And when we do, we'll find that our prayer life is more effective. And so the very first thing, and I want you to jot this on your outline. Number one, your prayer life should start with adoration. Adoration, you're adoring God, you're praising God, right? Again, notice how this verse starts, verse nine, our Father in heaven, hallowed, that means holy, be your name. Now, the very first part of the prayer has nothing to do with you. It's all about God. It's all about how awesome God is. And what we need to do at the beginning of our prayer is just really get enthralled with how amazing our God is. I love the way that Tim Keller once put it. He says, think about God until your heart is dazzled, right? That's what happens whenever you you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I'm talking to almighty God, the creator of the universe. Now, a lot of us, what we think when we pray is we're like, okay, I need to pray so that my marriage will get better. I need to pray so that my job will get better or my health will get better. Those are important things to pray about and there's a place for that. But at the first part of your prayer, it starts with, God, I wanna know you better. That's what it's all about. God, I wanna get to know you. And so how does Jesus describe God? Our Father. Now think about that. 
of all the ways to describe Almighty God, Jesus says, Father? I mean, it could be creator, right? Conqueror, redeemer, right? No, it is Father. Did you know that Christianity is unique in calling God Father? Take Islam as an example. There are 99 titles for Allah, including titles like Avenger, Powerful, Destroyer, but not Father. Why? Because the word Father is too intimate. It's too personal. God can't be that real and intimate with us, right? And yet Jesus, 165 times, Jesus calls God his Father. It's his favorite term to describe Almighty God. Now, I know that for some of you, describing God as your heavenly father is a struggle for you. And the reason why is because of your earthly father, right? Maybe you had a dad on this planet that, you know what, was distant or disinterested in you. Or maybe you had a dad that was abusive or absent. And and so you're having this really hard time, God, as a father? I don't think so. I don't need a God like that, right? And see, that's why Satan will work overtime to destroy fatherhood in our families and even in our culture, right? But let me just remind you of something. God is a father like no other father you've ever had. God is a father you've longed to have. God is this amazing father who cares for you as his children. That's the kind of God that we have, a God who we can relate to as a loving father who longs for you to talk to him in prayer. He wants to meet your needs. I mean, I think about my kids. You know, there were times growing up in school that they would have, you know, these fundraising projects. And so they'd come to me and they'd say, hey, Dad, would you buy these cases of Coke, right? Or Dad, would you buy, you know, this this crate of oranges, whatever the fundraiser was, right? Now, you've got to know something. I am extremely tight. I am... I don't like spending money, right? And so when our kids are asking for stuff, I mean, inside of me, I'm wanting to say no, but then what I actually do is I go, okay, I'll buy a couple of cases, whatever, right? And so I do that, why? Because they're my kids. But if you have a stranger or a salesman or some other kid from the neighborhood knock on the door and say, hey, would you buy this? I go, "Uh uh-uh, go on. You go, why, why would you do that? I'm cheap, yes. Secondly, they're not my kid, right? I don't have to do this, but I will do it for my child. Why? Because I am their father. You have a heavenly father who cares about you. If you're truly a child of God, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, then you are a child of God, okay? And so we have this God who's our father, but where is he? Notice what it says, our God in heaven. And so we not only have a God who's our father, but he is in heaven, that means he is Lord over all. He rules and reigns. He is, the, he is the creator, almighty God. That is who our father is. Can you imagine if your dad was the president of the United States? I mean, I mean, there's been times that the president has had children in the Oval Office, right? And it's always an interesting thing that for you and I, if we were gonna try to come into the president's Oval Office, we'd probably get arrested and hauled away. But their children can come right on in, right? I think it's a really funny story that happened whenever Jimmy Carter was president. His daughter, um, Amy, asked him a simple science question. He wasn't really sure what the answer was. It was before Google, so he turns to an aide and says, hey, could you look this up for me? Well, somehow it got misconstrued that this information was of national importance. 
And so a team of engineers worked all weekend long coming up with a 40-page report for the president for this vital information. He's like, I'm so sorry. It was just a simple question for my daughter, right? But see, that's the thing. When your dad has that kind of authority and power, right, those kind of things happen. I'm telling you, your dad, Abba Father, is Almighty God. And he is rules from heaven, so he has that kind of authority. So think about that. And so whenever you understand who you're praying to, it changes the way you pray. And so jot this truth down on your outline. Christian prayer is not about getting more from God, but rather getting more of God. Let me say that again. Christian prayer is not about getting more from God, but rather getting more of God. Whenever it starts off, your prayer is, God, I want to know you more. I want to adore you, right? And so prayer starts with adoration, but then it goes to the second step of prayer, and that is submission or surrender. God, I, I surrender my will. You're God, I'm not, so I'm going to surrender to you. Now, I've got a little confession to make as we think about surrender. And it's this, that um, I am a recovering control freak. I'm a, I am. I'm a recovering control freak. What does that mean? That means I like to be in control. I like to have things done the way I want them done. I like to be in charge. I like to have, have control. And I, when I make a plan, I like for it to be carried out exactly the way I want it to be carried out. In fact, I don't like surprises at all. Because why? It's outside of my control, right? In fact, there was a time that one of our church staff members decided that he thought it'd be funny to rearrange my office. He is no longer employed here. That's a true story. And so, um, and so the fact is, is that, you know, so I'm really this control kind of person. But God has taught me through the years, I have no control. First, he gave me four children. Enough said, Right? You try to pastor a church of 7,000, you realize you have no control, right? And so here's the deal. Control's an illusion. You think you're in control, you got no control, right? That's why we're all in recovery together. And so what does Jesus say? After you acknowledge who God is, then you got to surrender the lordship, the kingship, the control to him. Look at verse 10. You pray. Your kingdom come. Not my kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what do you do? At the very beginning of your prayer, you're saying, Lord, I'm gonna ask for a lot of things here. But if any of these things that I'm asking for are outside of your will, I'm telling you right now, don't do it. I want your will. Your will is always good, acceptable, and perfect. My will is not. And so let me ask you, where is God's will perfectly done right now? Heaven, right? That's why Jesus said, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is perfectly done in heaven. That's why it's called paradise. Let me ask this. Is God's will perfectly done here on earth? No, of course not. That's why we got to pray. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Why? Because you look around. I get, turn on the news, folks. This is a broken place. This world's messed up. There's so much hate and anger and bitterness and evil that goes on in this world. Can I just tell you something? Don't put that on God. Don't put it on God. Well, God, no. That's why we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, because it's not being done right now. And then you hear sometimes people will say, well, you know, drunk driver killed my uncle. I guess it was God's will. Now, listen to me. God is sovereign. All our days are numbered before there's one. God is over all, and guess what? God can cause all things to work together for good. He does. 
But you need to know something. When somebody does evil, that is not God. God's not a part of evil, okay? And so you need to understand, don't be blaming God for all your bad decisions or the bad decisions of other people. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so what are we supposed to do? Okay, we, we submit, okay, God, your kingdom is perfectly done in heaven. And one day, your kingdom, your will is gonna be done here on earth. Has that happened yet? It's going to happen. It's one day the kingdom of God and the will of God is gonna be perfectly done here on earth. And that's why we pray it every day. But, but think of it like this. I mean, I heard about this, um, this funeral director and he would sign every one of his letters this way eventually yours, and then he would sign it, right? Because guess what? Eventually, we're all going to be going to a funeral director, right? We're eventually yours. Well, eventually, God's kingdom will come. The Bible does say that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I'm looking forward to that day, but that day is not here yet, and so what do I do until that day comes? I need to pray, God, I want your kingdom, I want your will to be done here in my life. I want your kingdom, not my kingdom. I want your kingdom and your will to be done in my marriage and in my family and in our church and in our workplaces and in our state and in our country. God, that's what we're praying. That's what we want. And we know that whenever the kingdom of Christ comes, when Jesus Christ is now ruling as Lord of our hearts and families and lives and churches, guess what? His will's done and supernatural things happen. And so our problem is, is that we think we know better than God. And so whenever we pray, we think that what we're praying is exactly what we need, right? I mean, it'd be like this. If your child asks you, hey, dad, mom, can I play with a hairdryer in the tub? I think it'd be really fun to blow the water around. You go, no, that will, you will electrocute yourself, right? Now they may think it's fun. Can I just tell you something? Sometimes our prayer requests are just that ridiculous. And we, we, we ask God for these things, and God says, no, if I granted that request, it would ruin your life. Like that old country song. Thank God for unanswered prayers, right? Because, you know, God is not going to give us things that are going to destroy us. In fact, whenever it comes to God's will in prayer, jot this down in your outline. Here's a simple truth. If you knew everything that God knows you would ask for the very thing that God gives you. If you knew everything that God knows, you would ask for the very thing that he gives you. And so what do you do? Starts with adoration, then it's surrender, submission. God, I want your will to be done in my life. And then it leads to the third part of prayer. What's that? Number three is provision. Provision. I am to rely on God's grace and his provision in our life. So we ask, look what it says, what we need, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And when you speak of daily bread, that's your sustenance. That's your life. That's what you need, right? You need God's help. See, God's not against you asking. He wants you to ask. Over and over again, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, right? In fact, it says in the book of James that you have not because you ask not. See, I believe that there are storehouses of God's favor and blessing that's still in heaven, but we never ask for it. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, ask. I mean, if you have a desire and you feel like it's a need, ask the Lord about it. You, if you desire a relationship, ask the Lord about that. You desire success in your work, well, ask the Lord about that. 
I mean, think about it. If you've got a need in your life, you can only do one of two things with it. Either you can pray about it or you can worry about it. You know what worry is? Worry is nothing but negative meditation. And in fact, the Bible says do the opposite. Look at it. Paul says this in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. 20 times in the New Testament, it says, ask, 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 ask. But if you're going to ask God, be specific. Don't say, Lord, bless me. Got to need your help. No, be very specific in what you're asking for. God answers specific prayers. I love the true story about this um, Korean woman who she would come to church every weekend and she would bring a pair of man's shoes. And she'd set them down beside her and she'd pray, God, fill these shoes with a godly man. And you know what? A couple years went by and sure enough, God brought a godly man into her life. And he thought, you know, it'd be really funny is for him to slip on. They didn't quite fit, but he slipped them on and he did his wedding with those shoes on. Well, that's what we're to do. We're to pray, ask God what the needs are. And then how are we supposed to do it? We're supposed to do it daily. Give us this day our daily bread. See, this is the problem with American Christianity is that we're completely self-sufficient. We don't really need God, right? I mean, think about it. Most of us, we can go to Food City or we can go to Sam's and we can buy enough food to supply us for a week, maybe even a month, right? And yet the people in the first century, even probably half the world's population today, they live hand to mouth every day. The point is, is that you and I, though we think we're so self-sufficient, we are just as needy as these folks are. I mean, the fact is, is that a lot of us, you know what? We're like, I don't really need God. I mean, I could go to the buffet and I can eat so much. I, don't eat, I can't even walk out of the place. And yet God is trying to teach you to learn to be dependent on him and trust in him every day. Do you remember in the Old Testament after the nation of Israel was delivered out of slavery in Egypt, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. How in the world did they survive? God gave them daily manna every day. You remember that? And so they had to collect it every day. They had to be dependent on God every day. And some people were like, what if it's not here next week? We better collect enough for t- tomorrow or next week. And every extra they collected, whoop, all disappeared. It rotted. Why? Because God wanted them to trust him every day. It's the very same thing. Whether you realize it or not, you desperately need the Lord. God, give me today's strength to do the work I'm supposed to do. God, give me the, today's wisdom that I need to make the right decisions. God, give me today's comfort for the grief I'm going through. God, give me today's power that I need to overcome that addiction. Listen, you need the Lord and you need to learn to be dependent on him every day. And so, adoration. And then comes surrender. And then you tell God what your needs are. And after that, the fourth thing is this, jot this down, forgiveness. Forgiveness. You ask the Lord to forgive you. You ask for his forgiveness. You confess your sins to the Lord so that he can forgive you. Look at the next verse, verse 12. Forgive us our debts. Why? Because we have this huge sin debt as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, here's a real interesting thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at the moment that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says God forgave you. God forgave you of all your sins of the past, all your sins of the present, all the sins of the future. You are absolutely, completely forgiven, okay? You go, if I'm completely forgiven in this relationship with God, why do I need to confess my sins and ask for his forgiveness every day? It was just like me and my wife. We are in an, you know, 
an unconditional covenant relationship in marriage. I'm not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. But the reality is, is I still hurt her, right? And if I want a sweet relationship with my wife, I better confess that to her and make it right, right? Well, it's the very same way with God. Notice how um, David put it in Psalm 66. He says, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Christian Arthur um, Norman Vincent Peale told of a time when he was a child that he found a cigar. Now, his dad had forbade him to smoke, but he got that cigar and he went in his backyard and he lit it up. And about the time he lit it up and took in a few puffs, his dad comes in the backyard. Immediately grabs that cigar and he puts it behind his back, hiding it from his dad. And he's thinking, okay, I need to distract my dad. And so he says, hey, dad, you know, the, the circus is coming in town next week. Would it be okay if we go to the circus, right? Thing that's going to distract his dad. And his dad said this to him. He said, quote, son, never ask me for something while at the same time trying to hide smoldering disobedience from me. You see, you and I, it's the same thing. You think you're hiding from God? God knows you. God knows your heart. God knows what's going on in your life. And so ask for him to forgive you. And then when you do that, then choose to forgive others. Our forgiveness should lead to forgiving other people. Look at the rest of the phrase, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, what's interesting, this is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus adds his commentary. Look at it, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, God takes sin and then our forgiveness extremely seriously. It becomes the litmus test. Jesus is saying, if you and I really understand how much we've been forgiven, we will then forgive other people. But the fact is, is that I know a lot of people that have a hard time forgiving other people, right? And so, you know why? I've learned this through the years. I have a hard time forgiving other people when I think I'm better than that person. I think I'm less of a sinner than that person. Well, sure, I know I sin, but they are really bad. I would never do that. And so we have a hard time forgiving somebody else. And what happens is, is you've forgotten just what a sinner you are. You see, every one of us, listen, if if God revealed what really goes on in our life, if God revealed what really is happening in our heart, we would look at each other pretty bad because this place is filled with sinners, including me. Do you understand? I'm such a sinner. Jesus had to die for me and you too. And when you understand your sin, then you will have a willingness to forgive other people. I remember counseling a lady a number of years back who had been hurt very deeply by this guy. And so we were counseling and talking. And I said, okay, it, for you to move forward, you've got to forgive. And she goes, I, I can't do it. I said, listen, God doesn't command you to do something you can't do. You can forgive. No, I, I can't. Well, no, the answer is you won't forgive. Here's the deal. As long as you choose not to forgive somebody, you know what you're doing? You're going to keep living with that pain. Do you want God's healing in your life? It happens through forgiveness. In fact, jot this on your outline. Forgiveness is the key that will unlock every emotional prison. Some of you are in an emotional prison because something that's happened in your past, it's God's forgiving of you and you forgiving somebody else. That's gonna be the key that God's gonna use. And so after we've said, God, this is what I need, and then we ask for his forgiveness and forgive others, then we can pray this final thing, and it's this, jot this down, it's protection. God, please give me direction. Lead me away from the temptation. Build a hedge of protection around me. 
Look at it, verse 13. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. I heard about one lady who read the Lord's Prayer and she goes, lead me not to temptation. God, you don't need to lead me in temptation. I do that all on my own, right? Well, God doesn't lead us into temptation. God leads us out of temptation. I love the way the Apostle Paul put this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Here it is, and God is faithful. Aren't you glad? Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide, look at it, the way of escape, not a escape, the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And so what are we praying? We're praying, God, I need you to guide me. I need you to give me the wisdom to see the way of escape. I need you to give me the strength I need to choose the way of escape. Because here's the deal. Every one of us are gonna go through seasons of trial in our life. And in every trial, there is a temptation. In fact, jot down on your outline. With every trial, there's a temptation. I mean, every one of us go through seasons of trials. Either you just went through a trial or you're presently in a trial or you're about to go through a trial. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, okay? So guess what? God may lead you into a trial to test your faith. That's what happened with Jesus. The Bible said he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and there was Satan in the midst of the testing to do what? To tempt him. It's the very same thing with you and I. Some of us, we experience a test. And with that test, there is a temptation. Like, okay, I'm driving down the road and somebody in road rage cuts me off. Well, how do I want to respond? I want to respond in kind. I want to chase the guy down, say a few words, give him a finger, right? But that's not a good thing for a pastor to do. And so, in the midst of the test, I am facing a temptation. In whatever test you're in right now or that you will face in the future, Yes, God may lead you into that test, but you need to understand there is also a temptation there. Some of you, whenever you're being tested, what do you do? You overeat or you overdrink or you overspend. Some of you, when you're being tested, you look at porn. Some of you go and buy things and it's materialism. See, every trial comes with a temptation. And so you're praying, God, lead me away from that temptation, right? Because Left to our own devices, we're gonna make the wrong choices. I mean, think about it. Have you ever driven a car before that's out of alignment? And you let go of the wheel and it goes, whoop, it goes the wrong direction, right? You and I, we're, we're out of alignment, folks, we are. And so what do we do? We pray, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, steer my life away from that temptation, away from that, that, that thing that I will so easily give into. God, I need you to protect me. That's the prayer. And so here's five incredible ingredients of prayer. First is adoration, then it's surrender, then you're asking for God's provision, and then you ask for forgiveness and forgive others, and then you ask for God's protection. And I'm telling you, years ago, I learned to start praying this model prayer every day. And I pray it, not these exact words, but I pray this model. And whenever I learn to the discipline of praying the Lord's Prayer, that's when my relationship with Christ and my prayer life begin to take off. Did you know that Jesus prayed a very similar prayer? In the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was arrested and then crucified, if you remember when Jesus was in the garden, what was he doing? He prayed. And he said this, Abba, Father, Daddy, 
All things are possible with you. What is that? It's adoration. Please allow this cup to pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. What is that? Submission and surrender to God's will. And then because Jesus fully gave himself to the Father's will, then what happened? When he was on the cross, he made absolute provision for us. And because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, you now have a heavenly Father that cares for you. But not only that, you have a heavenly Father that will forgive you. That's why Jesus could pray from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And then they took the dead body of Jesus Christ, wrapped him up in grave clothes, put him in a tomb for several days. And on that third day, he rose again, right? Conquering what? Sin and death and hell and Satan. Satan is now under his feet and Jesus is the victor. And if you are now in Jesus Christ, guess what? You are now the victor in Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you can now have Almighty God as your Abba Father. Because Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, you have a God that will take care of your needs and provide for you. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you now have a God who will forgive you of all your sins and empower you to forgive those who have sinned against you. And because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, the same resurrection, the Bible says this, the same resurrection power in Christ is now in you and you can overcome every sin, every addiction, every scheme of Satan. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for you. Folks, you have the privilege of prayer, talking to Almighty God. And Jesus has made that privilege for you. But you've got to make it a discipline of your life. Amen? It'll change you if you do. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to be able to call the God of the universe my Abba Father. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, even though you know everything about us, you still love us as your children. And God, I pray in Jesus' name that you will do your work. Lord, please forgive us for neglecting the privilege of prayer to you. Help us to be the church and the people who really talk to you more and more. Lord, even now, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.